I want to keep having a look at um, Samuel and where we've been chatting uh, and looking at the children of Israel, their journey, where life was good, where life wasn't good, where God moved, when um, I guess the providence of God was in place, a whole bunch of things. And today, today's message is really, it's about, it's about you and I, and I'll do my best not to, be, not to jump on a hobby horse because and, and, I could go that way, but it's about you and I accepting or rejecting the Lord's leadership in our life. Like, it's, today is about that. Um, and really, if you have a look at what we've been looking at through First Samuel, that, that was what the story of Israel was all, all about because it got to a point where it, it shows how they rejected the Lord. And not only did they reject the Lord, they rejected the Lord when they were a people that needed the Lord more than any other people. So it makes no sense. Sometimes in life, the decisions that we make make no sense. So who needs the Lord? Yeah, amen for that. We all do. And the truth is help is always at hand. Sometimes it's dependent upon the right leadership of our lives. So let's just pray and we'll see what God has to say today. Father, we just pray that you would bless this day, bless your word Thank you for the blessing of the worship team that led us into that beautiful place where we could just worship you freely. And Lord, again, I just say, use me as we bring a word, a word that would minister to us all, that would shape us all, that would challenge us all, that Father would more and more, um, I guess, prune us and cut us into the image of your son, Jesus. But we do thank you. We thank you, Lord, for just beautiful moments with you. God, whether it's raining or whether it's the sun's shining. I thank you that in your presence there's always fullness of joy. And so, God, we look forward to that joy, that place in this time in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to jump into from verse 1. We're going to read it all, not all in one go, but we are certainly going to try to get there and we'll see how we go. So verse 1. When Samuel grew old... He appointed his sons as Israel leaders, as Israel's leaders. So let's stop right there, right from the beginning. <laughs> because right here, what we have is a really delicate transition of leadership after one of the great men of God. He, like Samuel was one of the great men of God. And up to this point with Samuel, things Things were, 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 were going pretty well with Samuel. You know, they were going pretty well. But then all of a sudden, you know, over a few hundred years, things before him were falling apart. <laughs> things after him were falling apart. You know, there's a, a few good seasons, a good few cycles, some sunny days, but there's lots of just rain-pouring, miserable day for, for Israel across the board back then. And... Really, most of the time, if you were to read the book of Judges, it was a bit of a mess. Like it was a mess for Israel as, as the children of God. The whole thing was a mess. But then along came Samuel, you know, an answer to prayer. And things changed under him. If you can remember as a young man, and he heard the voice call out to him saying, Samuel, Samuel. And eventually he was like, yes, Lord, your servant's listening. And God spoke to him, and he, God spoke to him so well that the word says that not a single word that Samuel spoke fall, fell to the ground. I mean, that's, that's an anointing, isn't it? 
Like, how cool is that? Imagine if you and I in life, cause, and particularly me, because I, I like to joke and, and all that sort of stuff. Imagine if every word that we spoke to someone, not a single word fell to the ground. That's a, that's a legacy. And that, that's an anointing upon him. Samuel was part of a mighty move of God. But now from verse 1, there's this, this, this transition of leadership that's taking place. So verse 2, the name of his firstborn was Joel and the name of his second was Abijah and they served at Beersheba, not Beersheba, Beersheba. It's probably why, it's probably why, Chris, they weren't great leaders because there's beer in the name of where they were serving. That's not theologically correct, but you can take it, so you can take it or leave it, all right? But his sons did not follow his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain and they accepted bribes and preferred justice. So let's, let's stop the reading again at the end of verse 3. Because what I want to start by saying is that, that you and I, we all need leadership. Like we need leadership, but we need leadership for our lives. And I'm not saying a dictatorship, and I'm not saying leaders in a church or leaders at work or leaders in, in, a, in a, some club or community. We need a leader in our life, full stop. You and I, we need leadership in our lives. Leaders, and we need people around us that understand leadership that can actually, because before I even go on, you realise that you're all leaders, Yeah. That each and every one of you here are leaders, not just somebody with a position, a title, an officer's uniform, that each and every one of us are leaders in our own right because God lives within us. And because of that, if we have him as a leader, then we can be leaders in our life and we can affect people. I hope you realise that because Christianity is not the sort of faith that you have and you sit on your bum and do nothing. It's the sort of faith that you come, you sit at his feet, you grow in his image and as you live life, people are led by it because you're naturally a leader because of him. But anyway, so we need leaders in our lives who put Jesus first. We need leaders in our life that lead like Jesus. We need churches that will live out the mission of God, yeah, to see every son and daughter, every part of his creation saying, yes, coming to the knowledge of him, especially in this day and age. Man, it's such a, as far as I'm concerned, don't have to agree with me, the world at the moment's a schmozzle. It's a mess. Like, it's such a mess. And Leadership, it's not just the prime ministers and presidents and parliamentarians, it's all of us. Yet when we come to live life, we need a leader in our life. Families need leadership. Businesses need leadership. Marriages need some form of leadership, even amongst the couple. Yeah? And in one sense, we all lead. But the way that we live is how we live, how we lead. The way that we live and the examples that we set is how we lead. So we can bring about change in this world through the way that we lead, you and I. Yeah? So we need leaders that are led of the Lord. We need leaders if we're going to turn a nation for the Lord. Because at the moment, it seems like everything's up for grabs. Yeah, I, everything's up for grabs. Whether you're male or female is up for grabs. Yeah, everything's up for grabs. And you don't have to agree with me, that's okay. But it's just some things aren't right. We need, we need leaders to say, listen, I hear you. And hey, I'm, that's your opinion. That's okay. I, I'm not going to change your mind. 
But as someone that's going to lead my life, I'm not going to choose to go with that. I'm going to stand over here. Yeah, and that's okay. Because you and I, we're entitled to our own opinions. Now, like armpits, they all stink. Yeah, yeah. I could have given you the other example, but I won't. Yeah, <laughs> someone's going, no, don't you dare, Andrew, I know that one. The truth is we all have opinions, and some of those are different, but you're, we're entitled to it. But it's in the way that we hold ourselves, it shows whether we're, we're a leader or not. I don't need my opinion to be yours. I don't need to push it down your throat. In my leading, as the Lord leads me, I just need to be strong and convicted for what I believe. Does that make any sense? Just, I'm just throwing it out there. Anyway, in some ways, we've got to read the rest of the passage because the whole passage is a prophecy of how badly the leaders of Israel have done, like terribly badly. And it's a prophecy of what the kings will do to Israel. So Because in verse 3, there's a sorrow, but his sons did not follow his way. They turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. Think about it. The sons of Eli that we talked about months ago, the sons of Eli, they fell to sexual immorality. Now we've got the sons of Samuel that are falling to dishonest gain. Now, I don't know where, where the sense there is, but except to say that the devil and the enemy can get, can get hold of some situations and some people. He just does. And that becomes the sin. When you've got leaders that are led astray, that becomes the sin that can bring a whole people to ruin. When you've got somebody that has such a polarizing view that goes against the gospel, Christian morality, everything, and they go that way and everyone goes, yes, let us follow. Yeah? It's the one thing that can lead, that becomes a sin, that can ruin a whole nation. And so we're going to see how kings came into the picture, that there were some good kings, but we're also going to see that Israel asks for a king in place of God. Yeah? And in relation to leadership, the church needs leaders. Scripture tells us about the different kinds of leadership we have. Think about it. Jesus called 12 disciples, all for the sole purpose of handballing his ministry to someone else. Even he called people to be leaders. The Bible tells us also not, about, not just about church leaders and Christian leaders, but human leaders outside of the church, doesn't it? Romans 13 tells us how to relate to, to governmental bodies and authorities of the day. First Timothy tells us how to pray for them. Moses shows us how to stand up to Pharaoh. Daniel shows us how to work with kings and emperors. You've got Joseph that shows us how to take their place and to be leaders. And then Jesus shows us how to speak to and how not to speak to leaders. Yeah, leadership in the church and outside of the church. I love the fact that Jesus in the end also shows us how to be a leader and he shows us a towel and shows us how to wash feet. Yeah, and he teaches the Sermon on the Mount that it's not all about us, but it's about the kingdom. You know, I've got to love Daniel too as a leader in the Old Testament because in different situations, sometimes Daniel was being shaped by the leadership and yet at other times, Daniel himself had to be patient and wait under the leadership that he was under. But constantly there was leadership, even when it was oppressive. There was leadership. And sometimes Daniel would remain silent, other times he would resist. 
Other times he was the key part in shaping the leadership of the nation. The hard thing to know and think about, but it's good for us to know, is the times that we are in. So we know how to respond and react. But let me make this comment on the first three verses. And this is the context for you and I as believers. Believers, we should feel sorrow when those who follow us don't follow the Lord at the end of the day. You and I should feel sorrow when those who follow us don't follow the Lord. And that should be heartbreaking. You know, Samuel's sons were a mess and they brought sadness to God's people. The people were used to Samuel. They wanted a move of God and instead they got these schmucks. Like they did. They got these, these two guys that were entitled that actually forgot it was about the kingdom and, and thought it was all about them. They didn't realise that they had a responsibility to lead. And whether you're a grandparent, a great-grandparent, a parent, a parent-to-be, whether you're an older brother, a sibling, a mentor, you and I have a responsibility to lead people and we should be deeply sorrowful if those that follow us don't follow the Lord. You know, praise the Lord for the next generation. <laughs> Otherwise, I think we'd get stuck in a rut. I think that it's really important that we allow space for our kids and our youth and our young adults to grow. You know, I praise God for the leaders that are older than us, you know, even in the room, that give us wisdom. Praise God for the wisdom that, that we even have the opportunity to bring. But I remember that these other leaders, these older leaders, in the season that they've led us through, we have to remember those that have gone before because we stand on the shoulders of champions, but we have to remember those that are coming too and be thankful for where we fit in the, in the scheme of things. Yeah? Verse 4, anyway, that's the context, that's the problem, that the leaders were not doing right. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. Now appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations. I'm discovering that getting old is a part of reality. Like, who would have thought? Yeah? I have this mental image of myself that I, I see it clearly. And then every once in a while, I make that fatal mistake of looking in the mirror in the bathroom. And it's like Scheisenhausen. Is that, that no? Because even, even physically, I have a perception of my physique. And when I look in the mirror, it's, it's different. It's like it's been turned upside down. Like there's a reality that you and I are getting old. That but that's part of the expectation but verses five, 4 and 5, but the next generation not following the Lord, that's a grief. Because they came to Samuel the elders and they said, you're old. That's reality. But your sons, they're not following in your ways. That's a grief. Yeah, that's a mourning. And here's where it goes wrong for Israel. There's a key moment here in the sentence and it hinges in the wrong direction because it was right for them to say you're old. It was right for the elders to say, Samuel, dude, you're getting old. 
Like you, you are, you're just old. He wasn't like 50, he was old. Like the guy, with, his eyesight was failing him. He was old. It was right for them to say that. But it was also right for them, you know, to say, your sons do not follow in your ways. Observation, it was right for them. It would be right for the church to say, if I'm 105, Andrew, you're getting old, you may want to let go of the reins. And your sons, you know, and your elders, they're not following in your ways, if that was the case. That would be right to say that. Scripture's told us that, but this is where it goes wrong. Because then they say this, right? It all, all on this one word, now. Now. It's like I want it now. They just they show reality. They, they share grief and then they go, now appoint a king to lead us. Now. We want it now. We want McDonald's drive through Give us a king right now. Such as all the other nations have. The motivation, such as all the other nations have. I mean, what's going on here? The discouragement in the failure of leadership. Not Samuel, but his sons. They were so discouraged, the people were so discouraged that they didn't have leadership, that they were, they were willing in this part because you've got to remember that Israel, they, they came under a leadership that was from God through spiritual men. But now they're saying, now give us a, a king to the pattern of the power of the other human kings. Thank you for leading us, God. That was a really nice season. It's been a bit tough. But we want to be like all the people outside of the church. We want to be like them. We don't want to follow the rules and regs that you had for us. We like them. Can we go there instead? They, they go from this theocracy with God in charge to a monarchy with a king in charge. And it doesn't turn out well. You know, I, I looked up some of the sermon titles around um, 1 Samuel chapter 8. And some of the titles for that same passage, some of the titles, when God is not enough, they got what they wanted. Dissatisfaction with God. Be careful what you ask for. Sounds like a game show, doesn't it? Like, so firstly, you've got believers. As believers, we should be sad when leaders fail. We should be sad when those that we lead aren't following us, aren't following the Lord. But secondly, there's this danger of easy worldly solutions. They thought the way to get their nation right was to walk away from the things of God and the way that God wants to do it. And we want to do it like the world. It seems to work out there, so we want to go that way. We've got to be careful of easy worldly solutions. Because the elders were right together together. They were right in defining the problem. Samuel was old and his sons weren't following in his ways. But the solution was insane. The solution was terrible. But isn't that the temptation for you and I every day when we face a problem? When we diagnose a problem, we know and understand what's going on. So instead of going to the Lord and getting spiritual wisdom, what do we do? We can often yeah, go to, what does man say? 
What does our friends say? What does our family say rather than what does God say? Because you, know, you know what the scary part is when we go to God? God's, God's advice, God's wisdom is often <laughs> countercultural. And then that just makes us look bad. To who? To the people that are following him. Have you noticed that Jesus would often encourage people to almost do the complete opposite thing? of what you think they should do in a situation. Time and time again, I love the way that Jesus did that. And he didn't do it to make a point, like to say, hey, I'm going to do the opposite. He wasn't like that. But he did it because all of the wisdom of Jesus was so different to what people expected. You know, we get a problem, we diagnose it. And we often do, we, we often do it, we, we run to the world. We post what a bad day we are having on Facebook. Do you know the most friends that I've unfriended on Facebook are those that constantly post, what a bad day I'm having. What a bad day I'm having. What a bad day I'm having. What, oh, what a schmozzle of a day. What about, today's been tough, but God. Today was horrible, but God. This has been the worst season of my life, but God. What about that? Man. We go to, with regard to relationships and sexuality, instead of reading the Bible, we read that wonderful magazine on the seven ways to improve our sexual relationship. I'm 53. Those magazines don't work, I'm telling you. I had to go back to the Bible for my wisdom. That was the point, young people. Far out. You give them an inch and they're like, off they go. Why do we go to the enemy for advice on relationships and life? You know? And so they were right to gather together. They were right to make, to, to make those comments, but they weren't right in their solution because their solution held comparison. And when we make a decision based on comparison, it's never going to be right. God does not compare. He doesn't compare things. God has a unique thumbprint for you. He's got a unique thumbprint for our church, for Family Life Church, a prophetic destiny for you, a prophetic destiny for this place. And God wants us to, to do it the Family Life Church way. For my friends, for Harley and Ruthie, he doesn't want us here to do it the rise way. He doesn't want friends over at, at Hilltop. He doesn't want us to do it the Hilltop way or the Enjoy way. Here, he wants us to do it the Family Life Church way. Over there, he wants them to be true to themselves. We have to be true to who he's called us to be. Yeah. God wants to lead us by his Holy Spirit because at the end of the day, God's the boss of this church. He has to be. There's no way I could get away with some of the jokes that I share and still be here. And they're good dad jokes, by the way. Even that, there was a mixed reaction. Oh, no, they're not. Well, there's a door. Swings both ways. That's another joke. Here's the strange thing. God says... Don't do it. And yet somehow, God still, his sovereignty still works through the kingship as well. 
He says, don't go the way you're going. Don't do it. Like We'll get there in a second. But somehow he still seems to sovereignly work through the answer and the way that they, he didn't want the children of Israel to go. Because ultimately we get David. You know, and of course there's a few good kings. You know, I love Hezekiah. He did a great job until, until, until he got old and got grumpy. So for those of us that are older, don't get grumpy. Don't do it. Don't get, don't get grumpy. Seems to be as you get older, you get grumpy. Don't get grumpy. Hezekiah got grumpy. He was terrible at the end. Today we're so afraid of offending that group or this group, yet Josiah, as a king, transformed the nations and he wasn't afraid to say, you know what, I don't like that God, the Asherah God. I'm pulling down those poles and posts. So God can still use kings, but he told them not to do it. Because the danger is God may let us have our way. That's the scary part. When God lets us have it, he lets us have our way. That's dangerous because sometimes we just have to trust God. But so often we get frustrated when we don't get it our way, don't we? Or is it only me? Yeah. Who gets frustrated when they go to a drive-thru and they order food and they get home and something in their order is wrong? Right? Like, hello, like we do. That's just for food. Just for food. So imagine when we're having to trust God, but how frustrated we can become when it doesn't play out the way that we expected. You know, because of something, you got to your appointment late. Because of something, you missed your flight. But isn't perspective a really good thing? Because think of it like this, you're headed somewhere, but you're stuck behind a slow driver. So obviously you want to give them the royal wave and you want to beep and you want to overtake, you want to run them off the road and do like that's normal reaction for most of us, particularly, particularly in Ballarat. Like who's heard of five cars in a row on a road before? Like it's, that's traffic here. So when I get to six cars, I'm like, I'm ready to overtake all six of them. This is doing my head in. Like it's insane. <laughs> But think about it, you're stuck behind a slow driver, you get to an appointment late, but maybe we've been spared from something. Maybe because of that slow driver, we've missed a flight. Maybe we've been spared from something. Because you don't know, we don't know when we've been spared from something, and we don't know the chain reaction that you and I could cause if we actually got to that thing on time. But by the grace of God, I think that we've probably been spared <laughs> more in our lives than we'll ever realise. Yeah. If we believe in the providency and providency of God. But let's see how God gives the children of Israel their way. Because there are times that God, oh, he just does. He, he lets us have our way. Verse 6, 10 minutes. But when they, when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them up out of Egypt until this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing this to you. The next verse is really interesting because now, now they're about to get their own way, but it's not going to be a good way and God warns them. Verse 9. Now listen to them, but warn them solemnly. 
Listen to them, but warn them solemnly and let them know that the king who will reign over them will claim what he'll claim as his rights. Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who were asking him for a king. He said, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses and they will run in front of his chariots. Side question, do you still want a king? Yeah, a worldly king. Verse 12, some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plough his ground and reap his harvest and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. Well, not one, let's go all three, yeah? He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. One rule for himself and, and other rules for us. Do you still want a king? He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officials and attendants, your male and female servants, and the best of your cattle and donkeys he'll take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you yourselves will become his slaves. Do you still want a king, a worldly king? When that day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you in that day. <laughs> when the day comes, you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen, but the Lord will not answer you that day. It's because we're now crying out to the king, not the king. Crying out to the king, not the king. And so the Lord won't answer. Did the people repent at this point? He'd given them six, seven verses, really, of all that bad stuff that was going to happen as a result of their choice. And verse 19, but the people refused to listen to Samuel. I, I have to interject here and say, how stupid can you still be and breathe? Like, really? He just, he's laid it out for you. This is what God says. Do you still want a king or do you want God? And the people refused to listen. No, they said, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with a king to lead us and go out before us and fight our battles. Let me summarize all that. Give us whatever we want. Bring it now. Give us a king. We don't need your advice, thanks. Verse 21 reads, When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered, Listen to them and give them a king. Then Samuel said to the Israelites, Everyone go back to your own town. It's a really human interaction. It's a debate between God and Israel. But Samuel, this great man of God, is in the middle. And it's almost like Samuel's last engagement with the people. It really is. It's like his last hurrah. Yet Israel seems to win. They get what they want, but in fact they lose. Because verse 20, then we will be like all the other nations. Can you see the error? Let's seriously think about it. Then we will be like all the other nations. The error here, it's, it, it, you can feel it going wrong because Israel is called to be a special nation. Now you will be like all the other nations. But now, man, God's heart grieves at this. Israel was called to be a special nation. They were called to be that unique people. Yeah? And it will be through them that the nations were going to be blessed. 
Israel's a people, Israel's a nation, Israel is God's unique and one and only nation and the nations of the earth as promised to Abraham would be blessed through them. But now, now they're saying, no, 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 we don't want to be your special nation. We don't want to be your special people. We don't want to be your children. We want to be like them. We want to be like the other nations. So God says, you'll get what you want. You'll get back from them what they're going to give to you right now and it's not going to turn out well. You know, I wish. Samuel had said, don't you realise you're God's special people? You're God's special nation? See, when we sin, when we muck up, we often forget that we've been chosen. You and I have been chosen by the Lord. We're special. We're God's precious possession, beautifully, wonderfully made, seated in heavenly places with him, aren't we? And yet when stuff happens, we kind of give away our inheritance like Esau for a bowl of soup. Or Samson who had his hair cut, yeah? Or Judas for 30 pieces of silver so he could have some money to last him a year. Do you know that 30 pieces of silver was about the price they say was what the cost of a slave was? They forgot the most precious possession of all is the kingship of the Lord. See, this is a word for us all today. 1 Peter 2, 9-10. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. This is covenant language. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who you and I are. We are God's precious possession. We have been chosen. So if we're God's special people, let's make sure we don't run after all the other stuff. Yeah? You know the insecure teenager that, that, that wants the best runners right now? Anyone ever experienced that? I need these shoes so I can fit into that group. Or, or what about the young person that thinks if I drink, if I swear, I'll sound manly and now I can hang out with those people? Because that's really what Israel was doing. You know, they were saying, we want to be like them. We want to fit into that group. We don't want to be those, those people that they call God's people. We don't want to be them anymore. We want to fit in with them. But yet they had the land. They were living in it. They had the, they had the law of God. They have a, a unique set of commandments that no other nation had. They have the Lord himself. They had liberty. The windows of heaven had been opened and blessings were being poured out upon them. You and I have to remind ourselves always, Ephesians 1.3, that we have been blessed with every blessing in the heavenly realms. Yeah, Help is always at hand if we turn to God. You know, Yet the Israelites, they decided to pollute that help with worldly so-called wisdom. It's what Spurgeon calls carnal wisdom, carnal wisdom, fleshly wisdom, bad counsel. Because there's a problem. Samuel's dying. There's a problem. The leaders aren't doing a good job. But the solution wasn't to seek a king. Because when they sought a king, 
They rejected the Lord. I want us to see the danger of easy worldly solutions. I want us to see the danger of it. I want us to see that God will sometimes let us have our way even when it's not going to turn out well for us. You know, God wasn't absent from the story. God was there from the beginning because even though he gave them what they wanted, it didn't end up well. We still ended up with David. Yeah, and through the line of David, we still ended up with Jesus. So God was still present. He was still there. But because of their choice, there was pain. In fact, a lot of pain for a long, long, long time. But by the grace of God, after Saul's failure, along comes a shepherd boy yeah, playing a harp, singing songs, probably having written and sung one of the greatest psalms ever, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He conquered Jerusalem, he made it a capital, he protected Israel, he made a way for the temple. God used David in so many ways and yet even David failed. God says, don't do it. But we want to, they say. Okay, let's at least do it as well as we can. Do you know, by the time they got the kings, it only took, it only took within three kings by King Solomon, from the first king to the third king, there was slavery in the nation. We want to be like them. Three kings, three generations. Slavery in the nation. It was a mess. But I want to leave us with a thought, you know, particularly because I'm out of time. Israel asked for a king and God says, okay, you can have one. And praise God that we got the ultimate king, yeah? You know, Galatians 4.4 says, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. Romans 5.6, you see it, just the right time. When we were still powerless, God died for the ungodly. I want to tell us all today that even though Israel messed up and even though you and I have messed up and even though at times the church has messed up and even though at times this church may have messed up, I want to declare that help is at hand because the king will come. Yeah. Let's not be like Israel and reject his kingship. Let me read something as we, we close. I'm going to ask people to stand. Spurgeon said about David's leadership. Actually, can I have some keys in the background? And Steve, just watch the volume of them, please, if it's okay. But Spurgeon said this about David's leadership because it's at a time when David was leading before he became king. And we know the story because I've preached it here recently. He left with all his family, went to Ziklag. You, you know the story because they, they went on a mission, they won the battle, but when they came back, they found that all the wives, that all the children had been taken, Yeah. Their hometown had been destroyed. It was a pretty bad day. This is what Spurgeon says. If the fight is won, it's a soldier's battle. Every man claims his share of the praise. But if the battle is lost, blame the commander. It was entirely his fault. He'd been a, if he'd been a better general, he may have won the day. Then Spurgeon says this. It sometimes happens even to the servants of Christ, you and I, that when they fall into persecution and lost for Christ's sake, that the tempter whispers to them to throw it all away. 
Since you've been a Christian, you've had nothing but trouble ever since you took up the name of Christ. Therefore, throw it up and leave the ways of godliness. I think that's a temptation for us right now. I think we're in a season right now where the world is pulling so hard and we have a choice to make on the king that we're going to follow, the one that we're going to allow, who's going to lead our life. Because sometimes when things go wrong, we just want to hide. Sometimes when things go wrong, we just we want to give in. Yeah. But again, Spurgeon says that's a vile suggestion. Mutiny against the Lord. Because this is what happened to Israel. It was mutiny against the King of Kings. Really. It was mutiny against the King of Kings. And you and I, we do it every day. We've all done it. We've all been confronted with it. You know, where the word says, open me, open me, we go, no. Nah. Spend some time, sit with me, sit with me, no. Nah. Come over here so I can talk with you, I can't, I'm busy. Every day we're confronted with the same decision on who's going to be the king of our life. Are we going to follow like the other kings? Are we going to allow those kings, that type of king, to lead our life? Or are we actually going to allow the king of kings to lead our life. Can I ask for every eye to be closed? Just for yourself. We do it every day when we know what we should do, but we don't do it. We do it every day when there's something we're supposed to step out in faith and do, but we don't do it. We do it every day when we're lax in our generosity. We do it every day when we're lax and slack in our attendance of worship. And yet somehow, he still sent Jesus. (laughs) So today, in our hearts, can we speak a prayer that declares that we're under the kingship of Jesus? Can we as a body, as a people, as a family, can we speak a prayer that says, not that king, but that king. Not that king, but that king. So, Father, in this place today, God, you know, Lord, the things that we shouldn't be doing that we sometimes do, you know, the times that we listen to the voices of the world because it's okay there, we've made them okay for us. But God, this day, Lord, as your people, as your children, Holy Spirit, give us the tenacity, the strength, the will to say, not that King, but the King of Kings. Not that way, but His way. Father, I thank You that even when You gave us the very thing, God, that led us to pain, You somehow still used that to bring David. You somehow still used that to bring Jesus. And You still used that to make a way for us to be Your sons and daughters, to be seated with You in heavenly places, to be able to call You Abba, Father, friend, this day, allow us to utter the words, you are my king, you are my Lord. I feel like we need to sing something. What do you reckon, Im? I just feel like we need to sing something.
I don't know what. I don't know what you've got. I'm trusting you. As Imi leads us in a song. Yeah, come on. I speak Jesus, Vic. <laughs>